With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Sexism, colorism, colonialism, so many isms that impact our lives and are often written about in ways that are meant to keep us out rather than to bring us in. That is part of what Prisca Lorcas Mojica Rodriguez is reckoning with in her new book, For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts, A Love Letter to Women of Color. And by reckon, I mean breaking down in the most relatable of ways how these forces have shaped her life, who she is, and her pursuit of freedom. Prisca, I want to start by asking you to tell me about your sharp edges, your tender heart, and how you arrived at the title of this book. So I have a book where the quote comes from. <laughs> so let me pull it because I don't want to butcher it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is Gloria Naylor, and it's uh, Women on Brewster Street. And before she starts the book to describe the women she's about to talk about, she says... They were hard-edged, soft-centered, brutally demanding, and easily pleased, these women of Brewster Street. And I read this in 2012, and I was obsessed. <laughs> so because, because the rest of you cannot see it, that page has more highlighting and scribbling on it than it does printed words yeah. from the publisher. Yeah. And I just like have always connected with that. When I write about even myself, like usually when I'm not still hiding from COVID, my nails are long and I wear acrylics. I wear heels. I'm not a casual sneakers girl. (laughs) I am very high femme and I show up high femme in all places. And so I have physical sharp edges that I talk about, like my Mm. tacon is thick enough to destroy you. Like there's a lot of poetry in my sharp edges that I've always leaned on because I connected with that sentence, the hard edged and soft centered, like nobody 
acknowledges how a lot of us who are a little bit bitchier and a little bit sharper, it comes from protecting all of the soft stuff that we have inside, that we haven't been encouraged to nurture. I'm not allowed to make me cry this early in the interview, but he's got, <laughs> uh, you, you dedicate your book to difficult daughters. In which ways were you yourself a difficult daughter? I was called La Tocadita al Mal, like <laughs> all my life by my mother. <laughs> so I was like the black sheep a lot. I asked too many questions, I think, for my parents. <laughs> I wanted to know why, like because the Bible says or because God said wasn't enough for me. Like I was like, but why? <laughs> And I think like I've just that's always been my identity. And my mom would always say, like, we have to be more strict with you because you're smarter. And I mm. hated that. I hated that. I felt like she she saw that I was viva. And the response to that was to rein it in as m more than she would rein in the other children. And there's an inherent contradiction that you write about that really took my breath away. You write, your parents brag about your brilliance all while exhorting you to be more like their friend's daughter, the good obedient daughters who did what they were told. I just, the paradox there. It's like my whole life. <laughs> I think that they're very proud of what I've been able to do, but I don't think that they ever could have imagined it. It's easier for me to just have gotten married at 19, pregnant, a mom, stay at home, have more babies. Like they knew what that looked like. That was my mom's story. That was my grandma's story. That's my mom's sister's stories. It was like, we know what that looks like. We don't know what the heck you're doing. And I think that there's like fear in that pride too. And I've had to accept that it, they both exist. How much of that was also echoed by growing up in Miami? Ooh. <laughs> uh, Miami's an intense place, I think, because um, it is a bubble of a lot of Caribbean folk. So there's a lot of Puerto Rican, there's a lot of Cuban, but there's a lot of Colombians. There's Nicaraguans. At the time that I was there, Nicaraguan was the second largest Latinx population in Miami. So, I mean, fritangas are everywhere. Our culture is everywhere. Like, it was very easy to just do traditional roles, to be put in traditional boxes as girls and as women. And I think a lot of us did. A lot of us who stayed especially just absorbed that and were like, this is it. This is like what success looks like in the U.S., like in Latin America, but with a twist, with like AC or something. <laughs> When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. 
Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. There really was so much that I identified with, including you talk about the way you you learn to manage imposter syndrome. You began to overprepare, which I think is just going to be so familiar to so many of our listeners. What did that look like for you? How were you showing up in rooms? I did the most. <laughs> Still doing the most. I would go up to the professor. The first, like even before school started, I would email my professors and introduce myself. And then I would go up to them after the first class and be like, hi, I emailed you. <laughs> like I was like, I want you to know who I am <laughs> and look at the syllabus before class starting and like start talking about our final paper. I was like, so I was like, thinking about this and I was thinking about this. <laughs> and I just wanted like I wanted them to know that I existed and I wanted to feel like I fit in. And I did the most and I showed up in ways that academia doesn't necessarily reward. Professors like it, but professors aren't your peers. I think for my peers it was very silly that I was doing that and they didn't get it. It was a joke. It was like a running joke in my peer cohort. They were like, uh, Priska, have you started your final paper yet? Like, <laughs> It's like the first week of school. And I would laugh, but I was like embarrassed because I was like, I just want them to know that I belong too. Right. It is funny to me to be talking with you and to see your tender heart and to see you laughing and smiling about it in the way you communicated about because there's no laughter and there's no smiling in the way you communicate about it Yeah. in the book. It was deeply hurtful and is one of the many ways in which you illustrate that institutions can send strong messages about who belongs and who doesn't belong and how even folk who consider themselves woke can in many ways send signals subtle and extremely overt yeah. that a person does not understand the cultural nuance of an institution or of a culture. Yeah. And God forbid you say that. <laughs> My graduate program was known, it's still known and listed as like the people who graduate are known as like activists and change makers. And <laughs> like, that's the reputation of the program. But the experience that I had there was just like a lot of silencing, a lot of policing, a lot of signaling, like you're, you're not good enough. And when things are happening to you, we're going to watch and we're going to be uncomfortable. We're not going to say anything. Have you learned how to not do that? 
Yeah. How to not show up that way? Yeah. You have great. I have not. Can you please teach me? <laughs> I think you have to be willing to risk it all. You have to be willing to like not get the book deal and like see what happens. <laughs> you know, like even with my when I was doing the interviews, because my book went to auction. And so I was doing, I was interviewing all these editors and talking to them. And I was kind of just like, what would it look like to not try to impress them, but for someone who's first gen to create a path for them to understand that English is my second language. I struggle with syntax. I need an editor who understands that and won't like ridicule me for it. And a lot of these editors kind of avoided the question. And the only editor that was like, oh my gosh, of course, my grandma is a Japanese immigrant. And like, I understand what you're talking about. I, I get it. You just need to write it and I will fix it. I will rearrange it if I have to. I don't mind doing that. And welcomed almost my perspective with all the things that were going to come as a ESL person, as a person who English is a second language for me. I, I still struggle on my freaking <laughs> Instagram captions with syntax. Like, I'm just like, I know that's not supposed to sound like that. <laughs> One of the things I loved most about For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts is your experience and understanding of colorism unfolds over time. So first, how did it change as you moved from somewhere like Miami to somewhere like Nashville when you went to school? There's a lot of policing. There's like this overvaluing of whiteness, especially in non-Black Latinx communities. All that is happening. And I definitely got teased by Latinx for looking more indigenous and not looking like some of the whiter Cubans in my school or whatever. But for some reason still was like, but I'm cool. <laughs> I still like had like a self-belief that when I moved to a white city like Nashville, it felt really dangerous. A white non-Hispanic yeah. city like Nashville. It felt really personal. It wasn't people just trying to assimilate and become white. It was just, it was white people gatekeeping. And it changed everything. Like I developed an eating disorder. I didn't know how to show up in spaces. I, I like buckled. I started failing in my graduate program. I spiraled. I, I was confused for a while what was happening until there was like a big incident on like a 4th of July. And I was with a group of my white friends, <laughs> a couple that was visibly Latinx sat near us with their family. Um, it was like a few kids and them. And behind us, some of the Vanderbilt undergrads just started saying, like, go back to your country. And I was just sitting there, like, mortified. And I just looked at my white friends and I was like, oh, y'all aren't going to do shit. <laughs> we're all in this progressive program and we're all trying to, like, quote unquote, change the world. But it's happening now and y'all aren't doing anything. Okay. So I like got up. It was like a little hill called Love Circle here. I just got up and like ran down the hill. I just like panicked. <laughs> like all the little experiences like that just like mm -hmm. came to this place where I just like panicked. And the next day I went up to um, the only other Latina in my program who had avoided <laughs> because... I didn't have this thirst to be around Latinx because that's had always been my normal in Miami. So I didn't leave Miami being like, oh, I got to find all the Latinx. I was like fascinated with whiteness. I was like, oh my goodness, 
look at these white people. <laughs> I was about to say, you are nothing if not an anthropologist. <laughs> yeah, I was just observing and like listening. I'm like fascinated. Like your dad is paying for your apartment right across Vanderbilt. Like I was like, what is this like? <laughs> and I had avoided this Latina who was like 35, um, non-monogamous, like had a baby that they were raising gender neutral. And I was just like, this senora wants to be my friend and I do not want it. <laughs> I really did. Which like now that we're in our mid thirties, that hits hard. Oh yeah. <laughs> but like I went and found her after that experience and told her what happened. And she like held me and she's like, that's really messed up. That shouldn't have happened. Let's talk to everyone and gave me all the language. And then I was like, okay, I've been attempting to find a space in a place that th they didn't want me here. They don't want me to be happy. They don't want to defend. They, they're not friends. They're j I'm like their token brown friend, if anything. I add to their experience. They're not adding anything to mine. So I had to shift my friendships and the way I moved in that circle and the way that I, I learned to defend myself because I didn't. I didn't before. I just like let it slide and was like, what's not? I was one of those people that if somebody was like, that was racist, I was like, no, you're like thinking too much about it. Not everything's race. <laughs> Part of building community for yourself is the sort of one-on-one -on -one relationships that you're building with other Latinas. Part of it also then is the community that you begin to build online. 2013, I mean, that makes you like an OG <laughs> to build a community yeah. for Latinas online 2013. I think we all sort of understand the impetus for these things, but like, what was the first thing that you did to build Latina Rebels? I remember I came home. I was starting to find a lot of the pages that I felt like spoke to me because I had already figured out, okay, Univision isn't doing me any good. Telemundo is not doing me any good. But also ABC is not doing me any good. <laughs> NBC isn't doing me any good. CNN isn't. So like who is providing counter narratives to all this? Because it's not popular media. I remember I found News Taco. I found Latino Rebels. <laughs> and I was just like, I liked Latino Rebels. I liked all these pages, but they were mostly ran by men. They were a little more radical, but like it felt very vanilla in some ways. What would it look like for me to do it? Because I... I love sleeping around and talking about it, like taking the shame of that. I'm smart and I can talk about that. I'm feminine and smart. What a concept. I was just like, <laughs> I want to bring all those things. You're not just feminine <laughs> and smart. You're the girl who wears a red tight short dress to church. Like, <laughs> yeah, you cross the chasm. <laughs> but I was like, there has to be something that holds all our complexities where we're not just trying to be like, oh, we can do left leaning reporting just like y'all can do your kind of reporting. I was like, I don't even want y'all's, like all your prescriptions of how this is done, throw it out the door. Let's just like put memes up and put <laughs> gifts up. Which also gets to your, your bigger ethos about saying goodbye to respectability politics. Yeah. yeah. Because I think part of your critique there is that it is being built still with the white gaze in mind. Exactly, yeah. And there weren't pages like this, like me too. The kids, they don't know. <laughs> the TikTokers, they don't know what the internet was like no, 10 years ago. No, no. I saw Latino Rebels was celebrating an anniversary. And I was like, <laughs> and mind you, Julito is like 
a mentor of mine in some ways. And still, I was like, I could do it better. <laughs> and take their name and say Latina Rebels, like, because I'm not a Latino. And I don't like that Latino includes me because that's uh, that's what we've decided is the neutral term for all of us or the plural term for all of us. So I was like, no, Latina Rebels. And I remember Julito even sent me a... Facebook message and was like, we can't wait to see what you come up with. <laughs> it was super encouraging. And That's so sweet. sweet. Not a cease and desist. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> On their anniversary too. And me being like emboldened by that because yeah, it was mostly men on these media places, but I, I also felt really embraced. I think because maybe I wasn't a threat to them. <laughs> like they're like, this is so wild. It might work, but it might not. <laughs> And also speaks to the fact that we're huge. We're huge audience. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like no one's like, well, we already have two white non latinx sites. So I guess we're not going to have any more. Yeah. 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 You write about learning to run from people, from situations, from things. I think as I understood it in large part in reaction to watching so many of the women you love stay stay when it wasn't the right man, stay when it wasn't the right opportunity, stay because there was this sense of responsibility that they needed to stay. I think most of us deeply identify with that and deeply identify with the desire to run. And I married two babies pushing 40, often think about the space between learning to run and learning to stay for the things that are right and for us. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you have learned the same. I had to figure that out by learning to run first because we're told to, to stay despite it all. <laughs> I was taught to stay despite it all. Like you stay because you made a pact in front of God. And that is the only reason to stay and the best reason to stay. So for me, I had to learn to run to learn to truly stay in something healthy. Leaving your first marriage, which was a young marriage, what did that though teach you about knowing who you are, knowing what you want and, and what freedom looks like on the other side? The game changer for me is that it was so taboo because everybody in my family stays that it was like the most disappointing thing. I It was like I killed my grandmother in front of my mom. It was like that kind of betrayal, like the way that they sobbed about it, the way they mourned that, like they were living in my shoes, <laughs> the way that the shame that I brought them, the way they reacted to the shame that I brought, the way that they, I even went back briefly because I, there was so much pressure that I went back because I was like, this is scary. I was about to ask. Yeah. Nobody is supporting me. And I called my parents and when I told them, my dad was like, yes. Like he screamed at the top of his lungs. He was so happy for my return to my ex-husband, which was brief because it sh I shouldn't have done that. And it made everything messier and harder to detach from the second time I finally left. All the shame was dumped on me so quickly too. That once I was like, fuck it. And all my great friends were like, fuck it with me, <laughs> which, you know, was like a cute little army. <laughs> 
And we burned my wedding dress that they even suggested, let's burn your wedding dress because they saw me struggling and they were like, we need to transition you. And so we did this burning of my dress. I was able to relinquish a lot of the expectations that I thought were the most important thing to me. I realized it was never important to me. It was important to everyone around me. So I could like move forward. I could learn to run. I could learn to speak up for myself. I could, but the divorce was like the catalyst for everything because of what it meant in my context. Why did you want to disappear from the internet? It's really hard to be online the way that I was. And I've been indie so long and it's exhausting to be indie. You're posting like about your life and people are like, why are you wearing Nike? Those children make those shoes. And like everything becomes public discourse. Everything that you do, how you speak, who you associate with. Especially when you have a politically charged brand. Yeah. Because then everything you do is also, is not just personal, it's political. I think it it's very misogynistic too. It's how do we find ways to invalidate this person? It still feels so dehumanizing and violent. And I don't know how people don't understand, like, you're just using a playbook. Like you're just reinforcing the patriarchy. You are contributing to my downfall when there's a million and one mediocre white men out here that you will not DM, that you will not tell them how you want them to be dead and that you want to rape them. Like that isn't a thing that they're experiencing. So I just got tired. What do you want to do next? Uh, so we're about to sell my second book. I really, really like this one. <laughs> There's more ease in the second book always. I feel more confident. It took me two years to write my first proposal. This one took me like maybe two months. And we're with the final edits soon and we're going to start submitting it. I have never felt so supported in my life. <laughs> and so I got the book deal. There's like a team of people financially yeah. invested in my success. And you feel it like we end phone calls and my agent will be like, you did so great. I'm like, Am I going to go to therapy about like how I've never felt this supported my whole life? I, I get so uncomfortable with all the encouragement, all the kindness. I'm just I just sit there like, <laughs> I think you're great, too. <laughs> I'm writing. I have two other books that are in the works also, but they're one's a children's book. So I'm still working with an illustrator and I'm I'm going to keep writing. I like it. Priska, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And congratulations. The book is is what you wanted it to be. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want you to engage with the ideas Priska lays out in the book itself. So I'm going to sign off with a reflection on how much work and thought Priska has put into creating the space so that more of us can see ourselves as authors, as people who have stories that are worthy of being told. If you too believe that that is necessary, if you are into ideas that push and pull you, then be sure to check out For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts, a love letter to women of color. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Sarah McClure is our senior producer. Our lead producer is Cedric Wilson. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer. Steven Colon makes this episode. Jimmy Gutierrez is our managing editor. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor and ad ops lead. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at latinatolatina. 
Remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. And remember, every time you share the podcast or you leave a review, you help us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.